Hi, I'm Patrick Palm, CEO and founder of Favro, and this is the Learn From Leaders podcast. The background to these interviews is that Favro clients are some of the most innovative and agile businesses out there. And it's used for collaborative planning by marketing teams, by product teams, HR, management teams. And what this means is that we get to know some truly inspiring people. So what we do in this podcast is that I invite them here for conversation about something where they are true leaders. So we can all learn from it. Let's go. We are live with uh, Johan Krona. Thank you so much for joining the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Very much looking forward to talking about sauce and trends. And right now I'm in Vilnius. We are just um, expanding our team in, in sales and account management and marketing. And most of those guys we recruit here. Now I'm working from there. So I try to work a little bit from wherever it's needed. And what about you? Are you in Stockholm right now or somewhere else? Yeah, I'm uh, at the home office. So uh, we're, uh, we're based out of Stockholm, but uh, today was uh, working from home and we have an office in Stockholm. And for the ones who don't know you, you're an investor with Cloud Capital, but you're very much known in Sweden as Mr. SaaS, Mr. Software as a Service. That's a nice reputation to have. I know you're very high in demand. <laughs> uh, you know, you're often uh, speaking at conferences. Uh, people like to yeah. read what you're writing and be generally listening to your opinion. But how did you become Mr. SaaS? What's the story leading up to this? The basis of it is that I've been an entrepreneur. I've started and ran companies since high school and uh, took off in university when I when I studied computer science. So been doing different startups, both computer companies, software companies, but also other companies. Been doing companies both Bootstrap and with venture capital. And eventually I ended up at an investor in Stockholm or in Sweden actually called Almi Invest. It's a government-owned part of Almi. So in, in Finland you have Tekes and in Sweden you have, uh, you have Almi. And so I worked there for almost seven years doing investments. And actually the two first investments I did over there was uh, SaaS companies. That, this was around 2010. And they were not calling themselves SaaS companies, but I realized sort of the, the beauty of the business model, you know, with the cloud, with a multi-tenant environment, doing subscriptions, being able to forecast your revenues, being data-driven and all these uh, fantastic parts of, of the SaaS model. So I started organizing SaaS companies in Sweden. So I have a meetup group and we met a couple of times uh, every semester. And that group, they, it grew into 700 people. Uh, been taking a break from that since uh, COVID, but hopefully starting up again. And from that, been doing some blogging, started up a, my own podcast in Swedish called Sauspodden. Also ran a couple of events. Uh, we're running events together with Breakit, the, the media company in, in Sweden. And uh, somewhere around there, when we started the events, people, someone started calling me Mr. Sauce. It's a nice title to have. And, and I can with... testify that uh, one of those events that you mentioned now, you know, this uh, SaaS summit will break it, the news outlet for the, the new economy in Sweden. Uh, that, that was an amazing event because I think it was one of the first after a very long period of having no kind of physical events because yeah. of COVID. But this was just before Omicron. So there's been a bit <laughs> of a spike after and, you know, now yeah. things are well, have at least in Sweden moved back to normal. I heard that Denmark yeah. is doing the same, the UK, the mask men have disappeared now in California. I mean, things are going back to normal, which is awesome. This event was quite, let's say, early in the trend now of actually being able to come to physical events. It was a very good atmosphere and it was very nice of the organizers to invite me to do a panel as well, which was, I haven't been on, on stage putting on some nice clothes for a very long time. You know, it's mostly been these kind of meetings, but that was, that was great. So I do hope as much as I love the fact that working from anywhere, living from anywhere 
from time to time, I think we do need to get together and simply hang out with each other face to face. With that said, let's move into the the main topic of today, because uh, as with any industry, there are always kind of trends. I mean, some people don't like it, but I actually like the kind of Gartner hype curve or any Uh other analysis hype curve, which kind of like, you know, when you have things and everyone's talking about it for a while, but maybe it's actually not really materializing. And then you have that phase when things are actually coming into fruition and increased Mm. productivity and so forth. You know, maybe with a little bit of that kind of thinking in mind of where is this on the hype curve? What are the trends with SaaS that you're seeing, you know, being the big ones in 2022? I prepared some different aspects of it. And and I think... From the highest level, what we've seen during COVID, what happened with SaaS generally was that it, of course, brought forward a lot of demand. For instance, the public companies is a good proxy. If you look at their growth since COVID broke out, it's been tremendous. And also, if you look at the last couple of months, you can see that almost all of the public SaaS companies, not the least in the US, have been totally slaughtered when it comes to the stock valuation. And and I think part of that is the stock market tends to be first very, very greedy, and now they are very, very scared. Uh, So what happened, I think, from a macro perspective, it was that companies during uh, the beginning of COVID, they had actually a hard time to catch up with the demand. So you grew as fast as you could uh, with that uh, organization and the capabilities that you had. And somewhere around end of last year, this switched because you had sort of grown your company and now also the demand decreased, relatively speaking. So now a lot of SaaS companies, they have actually start, have to start, you know, thinking about marketing, demand gen, demand capture, selling. They have been in a mode of just taking orders the last two years and just helping customers be more digital. And that is changing now. And of course, the stock market gets nervous because they cannot just take on the same growth pace forever. So they have mm-hmm. to sort of change their view on these companies because the growth right now is actually slowing for most of the companies at least on the public companies. And so what happens with that is, of course, the valuations have gone down tremendously. And that will probably transfer more into the private market eventually. This is usually not happening overnight, but the metaphor is usually, you know, the train with lots of wagons. And if the engine puts in the brakes, it takes some time before all the wagons sort of find the rhythm again and everything settles down. In this total macro sense, of course, there's a lot of room left digitalization is still in the early days. We have Mm -hmm. so much more penetrations to do with with smart services going into companies, helping them with productivity and and so on. It's been a ride the last couple of years. If you just look at a a proxy could be the the valuations of the public stocks, at least is that one way of looking at it. I have two follow-up questions on that. Do you think that will also trigger more acquisitions? Because there are some companies that might be in a good position to do that. Uh, maybe they also raise some fresh capital. And, yeah. and you know there might be some companies that are being at a more attractive valuation yeah. uh, because some of the hype is gone, but you know the underlying fundamentals are, are really yeah. solid. Absolutely. I mean, just look at, there's been a lot of rumors the last couple of weeks uh, around, for instance, Sendesk. They're listed and they have still, I think, a decent valuation and so on. But now when when their stock uh, price uh, decreased a lot, actually, the rumors intensify that there are different private equity firms that are looking at uh, putting in a bid for them. So that's super exciting because that somehow puts in a floor. These companies can't uh, decrease in, in valuation that much more because then the private market will actually buy them out from the stock exchange. It's a good question and it's a, yeah. it's a very nice thing to see in the market. 
And I guess also between listed companies, I mean, if we look at Salesforce acquiring Slack, seeing yeah. more things like that or? Absolutely. Look, at Salesforce is a fantastic company. And, you know, you see that they have bought themselves into different verticals when it comes to the marketing cloud and the service now mm-hmm. and, and so on. I have a second question on that, which is slightly more long-term. Well, actually, this has like two parts. We are obviously kind of in the center of, which is that a lot of companies have now chosen that we're not going back to entirely the old normal. Actually, most recently progressive companies seem to have chosen a path of more of a hybrid organization where it's not going to be maybe 100% remote, but it's not also not going to be 100% in the office. It's going to, it's going to be way more flexibility. Yeah. And this means that there's a need to be way more digitalized. So that's one thing I'm seeing. The other trend I'm I'm saying is there's a lot of talk, especially in the US, but I definitely notice it right now over here in Europe as well, especially since we're hiring a lot right now, which is the big quick. So many people changing job. I don't think I ever experienced a market where so much the employees market, people are changing jobs a lot. And this makes me think about a podcast that I did last week with Zoe, who's head of production at Timber Studios, which is a game studio that was formed you know, during COVID. So they were kind of like, you know, COVID born. She talked a lot about kind of breaking down organizational silos and being kind of more of a flat organization for both for productivity, but also for inclusion mm. and being able to hire the best talent. What I'm trying to get at with this is that maybe there's also kind of a driver here, which employers are going to be the most attractive uh, in kind of the post-COVID era. And that will make some companies, typically then a lot of these tech companies, maybe more attractive than others. Do you think those things will affect as well? or? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I think this is something that changed a lot uh, because of COVID, because now everybody knows that it's perfectly fine to work a lot from home and you can make that work. And then, of course, the, the employers, they are really nervous because they want to have their people sometimes in the office because that's a good thing. And I also thought about this before. I think one other aspect of this that we're seeing when we're meeting a lot of companies to evaluate investing, that is the big difference if a company has this really strong purpose or not. There's a war for talent, as everybody knows. And, and now yeah. people are looking, where should I spend my next uh, couple of years? And yeah. of course, one aspect is, can I work from home? It's super central. But the other aspect is not least that important is like, what's the purpose of this company? If you look at companies now with uh, working, for instance, within the impact tech or in green tech areas and, and so on, uh, you see that they have, have a lot easier time to attract really, really strong talent because people will also not just look at a job like, okay, what's the pay and can I pay, mm-hmm. can I work from home? But actually, you know, look my family in the face and be happy that I'm actually making a difference for the world in one area or another every day at work. It's not just uh, bringing home money to pay for food. It's trying to make a difference. I think that's also a lens that we are using more and more that, okay, will this company be able to attract talent? Yeah. And is there a purpose in the company? Because that will help for sure. That was a macro trend. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's, uh, what would be your second trend to watch? Another few trends. Uh, you and I have been on the panel before. We have talked about product-led growth. So if we're moving into more of the, the playbook parts, I think that uh, the product-led growth is, there's still a lot of companies that are playing catch-up. They have the basic sauce playbook has been sales-led, where you hire a lot of uh, AEs. And after a while, you realize you also need to have someone book meetings. So you hire SDRs. But you talk, kind of forget about making the product really easy to try and maybe even use it for free before considering to purchase this. And I know you guys at Favreau have uh, thought about this for a long time and coming from being a, a product first company. But there's a lot of uh, also 
things in, in the product-led domain, I think it's interesting how the more mature companies are evolving. You're seeing companies that now have very much a mixed model for with like a free tier and a, and a product-led tier. And then, you know, you also have an inside sales team that are working with uh, helping customers purchase larger deals. And you also have an enterprise team in order to land the really big deals. You actually need to have sales going out, doing meetings and demos and, and so on. So I think this is really interesting when it comes to, uh, there's a lot of companies moving into the product-led, but you still need to evolve your playbook also yeah. being too much focused on one way or another. This is not that easy if you are coming from a perspective of not thinking in that way, because no. I mean, a lot of these kind of changes comes from the top and then you need to make sure, you know, if that kind of thinking wasn't at the top from the beginning, Yeah. I mean, of course, people can change. So it could be that simply the CEO, you know, realizes these things and evolves into it, right? But very often... There's a tendency with us humans that we're a little bit stuck in our thoughts. How do these changes typically happen, you see? No, but I think you're on a great, that's great observation. Because, uh, I mean, I met a company the other day that we we're looking into investing in. And, and they've been really successful with the sales-led uh, motion. And now they're starting experimenting with the product-led freemium uh, tier. And they have sort of came, come to the, the hard conclusion that, oh, this is not something that we're just easily going to fix. This mm-hmm. will take a lot of time. And as, you, as you're alluding to, the rest of the organization is kind of, well, we have this. This is uh, already working with the sales-led motion. We have all the salespeople. We have all the leads coming in. We're doing the demos. All the salespeople are getting their commission and everybody's happy with growing. And this free tier initiative is kind of, yeah, yeah, they're, they're the ones in that room over there just uh, experimenting. Yeah. And, and they have a hard time succeeding because they're not getting the buy-in from the rest of the organization they're not allowed yeah. to put up you know the free trial button on the on the homepage. so mm. how are we going to drive in the yeah so you run into all these different problems that you need to solve and uh, i mean to answer your question i think it will take a lot of time uh, it's not going to be that fast as they think i think it's probably it's possible but uh, i think it's um, the way to succeed is of course to have it in your dna very very early so that's mm-hmm. the, sort of the shout out for for the ones that are still in early phase to try to yeah. build in the product led dna early because it's getting really really hard to add on it just to an yeah, existing yeah. model you know, one interesting trend that I spotted is that it's been an increasing amount of companies that are doing basically forced onboarding. Someone who's a little bit more on the techie side, like myself, are not a big fan of this because I'm like, come on, the tool might not be the most intuitive thing I've ever mm. seen, but it's intuitive enough that I can simply figure it out and just use sure. it, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm not even allowed to do that. I have to go through this onboarding uh, process, mm-hmm. uh, which can be frustrating for some customers. But but I understand why they do it. It, it probably has a, a pretty good effect on conversion metrics and lowering churn. Probably also works as a way to kind of segment, you know, where should we like double down on our efforts, mm-hmm. which customers can be really big and really good, and which ones shall we kind of pass to maybe less effort. And obviously, this is not the ultimate. This is not where you want to get to, because if you're doing it like, you know, truly product-led, uh, then you don't need these things. But mm. I think maybe it's a bit of a bridge where, you know, we were starting to use this platform called PartnerStack for how we work with, well, basically partners. And, um, you know, American company, it's really not rocket science to use it, you know, <laughs> but we had to go through this. And it's the same thing if you ever used um, Superhuman, which is, you know, very focused on selling to like VCs, tech entrepreneurs. So both of us are very much their target market, but you can't really buy a subscription from them without having to go through like a forced onboarding. And I think in their case, the reason they're doing this is because since they're selling something, which is, I mean, most people 
that like superhuman really likes it. So, you know, mm. they're doing something great, but it's still, you know, they're competing with things like Gmail, which is also very good, but basically free. You know, that's like a marginal improvement that you can achieve by using this tool. You really need to see that, yeah. you know, you need to, well, experience, you know, that, that yeah. extra benefit. Otherwise, you're not going to pay for this thing. Uh, so, so they're forcing you to discover that. Personally, I'm not a fan of it. You know, from a business point of view, you know, maybe this is actually a pretty good way to have like a stepping stone towards mm. more product-led growth, you know, when you're not like fully there yet. Yeah, for sure. And, but, and also maybe another aspect of that could be, I don't know what you think, but could also be that you're having a little bit of a problem to actually articulate, you know, your differentiation. Today, there's so many SaaS products out there. And if people are just browsing around and coming into your site, they will actually probably just stay for a few minutes. So you have to be super clear on this product is for this uh, use case and, and deliver on some kind of value or aha moment very early on in the onboarding. That's also part of a trend to keep your eyes on that competition is getting tougher every day and, and you have to find sort of your differentiation towards some kind of ideal customer. And then you have an easier task to be attracted to them rather than being too broad. And yeah. no one really understands why are we existing and who's actually our best customers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So we need a third trend here because it always yeah. needs to be three, right? So I think we got time for the third trend. Do you have one? If we're moving on with the playbook, I would say the another trend that I'm very much into right now is the whole marketing space. Mm-hmm. I think that is also a, where everybody needs to start evolving really fast or you will be left behind because inbound marketing and, and putting up uh, ebooks and collecting email addresses that has been working for uh, since maybe 2015 or something like that. But you can see now, just look at the most successful companies, how they're doing their marketing. I mean, they're more like a media company than doing some blog post in order to get some SEO traffic and capture leads. The game is evolving really, really fast. You need to be super clear on who's your customer, how are we going to make attractive content, for instance, to be on their radar continuously, and then how do we capture that interest into the funnel or into the product. The marketing is a tough space also that's moving really fast and evolving. How do you actually do that? Because I, I totally see what you're saying with, okay, it doesn't really work with those kind of ebooks, capturing an email address, mm. you know, kind of method anymore. You know, I liked what you said there. You, you basically have to be a media company, I think you said, mm. right? It makes me think about Red Bull. They are a freaking media company making, you know, energy drink that can't be too hard. So I think it will be hard to prove that Red Bull is a superior product to the similar products in the market. But they're doing an amazing job with the content they're creating. I mean, if you look at something on YouTube or on Insta, you know, from them, you you easily go down a rabbit hole because you see one video is awesome. What's the next? And SaaS companies, do we need to become like Red Bull or is it how much do we need to level up to be in the space today where we're competitive? For sure. I think we need to level up. And maybe one one suggestion is, of course, experiment with different stuff. But also when you found something that works, make sure to uh, develop that and keep doing that uh, and, and increase the quality and the production uh, investments on that uh, more. Because I see a lot of companies, they tend to be too fast, spreading out too thin and doing mm-hmm. everything from blog posts and landing pages and campaigns and podcasts and videos and and uh, what have you so so try to find something that you see is working and then double down on it and try to improve it every week so that you get known for you know oh you are the guys with the tiktok or you are the guys with yeah, the yeah. youtube channel or you are the guys with the awesome blog post yeah i think that makes a lot of sense i have a feeling in my head of marketing is going to use this now against me and say patrick <laughs> you need to double down on on the podcast here now you need to do more of them you need to continue to have great guests you know you need yeah, to yeah, yeah. you know sure. you need to cut your hair better you know <laughs> 
I think this uh, this has been very interesting, and and I hope that we can do um, a follow up in the future and kind of like you know keep watching trends. Uh, sure. So final question: What's going to be your next kind of appearance? You know, conference or? So actually, we have a we have a live event in Stockholm at Bansch. So it's together with a really nice guys from Baboom. So they're doing a sales conference over at Bansch, uh, Bansch Alonger later this uh, spring. We will make a lot of marketing around that on LinkedIn. So just uh, keep our eyes open on that, and I will be taking part on a panel. Cool. I hope to be there and um, and uh, meet you live. I'm looking forward to that. All right, super. Thank you very much for having me. Super, super. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care, Patrick. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I certainly did. If you want to elevate yourself as a modern leader and help your teams become even more successful, then check out Favor Academy at favor.com. They will find podcasts, webinars, articles, all free of charge. Check it out.